Yes, we're open. Living Faith with Needham UCC, a sermon podcast from the Congregational Church of Needham United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you're invited and welcome. This sermon for Sunday, December 10th, 2023, is entitled The Innkeeper. It's the first part in a three-part series for Advent called A Non-Canonical Christmas, where we explore common Christmas characters who aren't actually in the Bible, but maybe should be. It's a reflection on a reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to find out more about our open and affirming ministries at the Congregational Church of Needham, United Church of Christ, simply head over to our website, www.needhamucc.org. Thank you. A reading from the Revelation to St. John, chapter 3, verse 20. The Spirit of the risen Christ says, Listen, I am standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. So those of you who've known me for a while know that I was born and raised in Austin, Texas. Multiple generations of my family there. And back when I was living in Austin, both after college and when I served a church there, one of my favorite Christmas traditions each December was going to see the latest production of A Tuna Christmas. Now, if you are not familiar with the Tuna Trilogy, it's a series of three plays, Greater Tuna, A Tuna Christmas, and Red, White, and Tuna, about the mythical third smallest town in Texas, Tuna, Texas. In each play, just two actors take on the more than 20 roles, each of them longtime residents of Tuna, including Aunt Pearl, Dee Dee Snavely, owner of Dee Dee's Used Weapons, where if Dee Dee's can't kill it, it's immortal, Bertha, Stanley, Charlene, and Jody Bumiller, and Town Grinch, Vera Karp. To my ear, these plays get small-town Texas life just about pitch perfect, to the point that my immediate family in Austin most years took to skipping the family reunions and going to see Tuna instead. Served much the same function. The plot of A Tuna Christmas, my favorite iteration, concerns the drama around the annual Christmas yard display contest sponsored by the local radio station. And the play opens with this update. We have the finalists of the Radio OKKK Christmas Yard Display Competition. Leading the competition, as usual, is the display at the home of W.H. and Vera Karp. This year, the Karp's Yard Display is entitled the Christmas Hall of Fame, and it consists of a traditional nativity scene complete with live sheep. The Holy Family is shaped out of hard plastic and lit from inside. And it's surrounded not only by the wise men and shepherds, but the crowd also includes Santa Claus, Bing Crosby, the Grinch who stole Christmas, and Natalie Wood. 
That line always made me laugh, even before someone told me that Natalie Wood played the little girl in the original 1947 version of Miracle on 34th Street. It's funny because of the jumble and juxtaposition of all of those Christmas characters out of context. Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus, sure. And Santa, okay, I can see that, but also Dr. Seuss characters and Bing Crosby, Mr. White Christmas himself, and God only knows who else. Presumably all made of hard plastic and lit from the inside. Must have been a big yard. I'd wager that's how Christmas is for many, if not most of us, in our minds and in our memories, kind of cluttered. The story, the story as it actually appears in Scripture, in the biblical canon, at the center, sure, but then added on to with a whole cast of non-canonical characters, characters and elements accumulated over centuries of Christian Christmas tradition, pageants, carols, Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus, and an innkeeper, and a donkey, and a little drummer boy, for instance, who don't actually appear in the Bible at all. But they are part of our experience of Christmas, individually and communally. And so they merit a bit of reflection. After all, there's a reason, reasons, somebody wrote them into the story in the first place, and reasons why they've stuck around in our cultural and theological imaginations. Maybe they help us find our own way into the story of Jesus' birth, of God's love, justice, and peace, becoming flesh, becoming human among us in the babe of Bethlehem, who would grow into the man of Nazareth, the rabbi of, in Galilee, the prophet in Jerusalem, the savior of the world. As we said last Sunday, as we were putting together these marvelous peg doll nativity pieces, we do all have a place in that story. You have a place here. We're called to be more than a passive, if appreciative, audience for all God is doing. We're called to be partners with God in doing it. We too are non-canonical characters in the gospel story of loving the world to life. So that's what we're going to do these next three Sundays in this Advent season that seeks to prepare us to celebrate a more meaningful Christmas. We're going to spend some time contemplating a few of these non-canonical Christmas characters and ask how they may help us to see ourselves in the story and receive the gift of God's love more deeply and share it more widely in our lives. First up is the innkeeper who wasn't there. They're not there in the biblical text at all. Luke and Matthew are the only gospels that mention anything about the birth of Jesus. Matthew focuses on the visit of the Magi, the so-called three kings, though of course we all know there were neither kings nor three of them. It's Luke's version that tells us about a very pregnant Mary and Joseph's journey to Bethlehem to be registered as part of a Roman imperial census, and subsequently about some angels appearing to some shepherds. 
Luke covers the birth itself in the space of exactly one verse. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Aha! But if there was an inn, there must have been an innkeeper. And if there was an innkeeper, there must have been, well, they must have been a bad innkeeper, a very bad innkeeper, to turn Mary and Joseph away in their hour of need so that they had to seek shelter in a stable in order to have their baby. And that is generally how the innkeeper is played in pageant after Christmas, pageant too bad, too mean, too, or at least too busy, too concerned with their other customers, too annoyed and too annoying to tend to the needs of these desperate neighbors who come knocking, or even to notice the miracle unfolding right before their eyes. No, 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 there is no room at the inn. Now go away. Go away, or, well, maybe, I mean, maybe, you can go around back and bed down with the other animals if you must. But don't let me catch you sneaking food from the kitchen. No food and no towels. My, how these people do wash. Now move along. I've got real guests to tend to. I'm sure you can see that sort of innkeeper in your mind's eye. Maybe you even played them in some Christmas pageant in your past. But here's the rub. There was no innkeeper, mainly due to the fact that there wasn't any inn, at least not in the gospel story itself. You see, there are two Greek words in the original text of the gospel, according to Luke, that got translated as inn in some versions of our English translations of the Bible. Two Greek words, kataluma and pendocheon. Of the two, pendocheon is closer to our modern understanding of an inn, a public lodging place where a landlord, an innkeeper, rented several rooms to paying guests. Remember when, also in Luke's gospel, the good Samaritan takes the injured man to an inn and pays the innkeeper to care for him? That is a pendocheon. And that's the word Luke uses there. But here, Luke uses the other word, kataluma, which means extra room or upper room. Yes, just like that other upper room, also later in Luke where Jesus celebrates his last supper, that word is used there as well. In first century Judea, in a little town like Bethlehem, and Bethlehem, folks, was small. So small that it often did not appear on ancient maps of the area. In a little town like Bethlehem, there were no inns. There were no pendocheons. Most people lived in a one-room house together with their animals. If they were just a little more well-off, the family might sleep in an extra room, an upper room, a kataluma, where they could welcome visitors to stay as well, while their animals were separated into not a separate stable out 
back, but simply below on the first level, where they warmed the house on chilly nights and ate their feed out of a trough cut into the floor. A manger. So no inn and no innkeeper. Not in the actual story. And no, no room at the inn either. In a culture that valued hospitality as highly as did first century Judea, it would be unthinkable for any host to turn away guests, especially ones in such obvious need as the very, very, very pregnant Mary and Joseph. Yes, Bethlehem was filled to bursting with travelers in town for the imperial census, all staying with their kinfolk in the house and family of David, like Joseph. But there's always room. If not upstairs with the earlier arrivals, or perhaps the elders, or those who needed extra care, then downstairs, where that handy, built-in manger can double as a crib for a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. Little wonder then that Luke, the consummate storyteller, Mark is brief, Luke is never brief. Luke is always long on details, but he doesn't feel the need to dwell on this otherwise seemingly dramatic turn of events. No room at the inn for more than a single verse because it wasn't out of the ordinary and it It wasn't that bad. Yes, trudging along dusty roads for days in the 41st week of your socially suspect miracle pregnancy because your imperial oppressors insist on counting you like cattle for the purposes of taxing your majority-minority community even more cruelly, yes, that is bad. Awful, really. Really awful enough. And that's the part Luke focuses on in his version of the story. But at least there's a roof over your head at the house of your second cousin twice removed and helping hands to care for you and your newborn in those first days, the first weeks, or do you think government accounting gets done overnight? Even animals to keep you warm. But no end. And no innkeeper. So why do you think we, and here I use the broadest possible we, why do you think we put the innkeeper in there and keep them there year after year as we share this story? Who knows, really? Certainly a large dose of cultural projection on the part of biblical translators centuries later in the West, who understandably wrote what they knew. They knew about inns, not upper rooms. So they made it an inn and included an innkeeper, and we play along. But in a way, I think the innkeeper is in there and stays in there for us to represent us in the story. The innkeeper helps us ask ourselves, What would we do if God came knocking on our door? What would we do if our neighbors in need came asking for aid? If and when? When the knock on the door comes, how will we respond? How do we respond if we respond 
at all? Do we answer the call or do we ignore it? Do we ignore them altogether? Do we make up all sorts of reasons why this is not a good thing to do at this not so good time? Do we give priority to all that's on our plate already, all those earlier arrivals in our lives, all those concerns that already fill our limited upper rooms to overflowing? Do we hem and haw and make excuses? Do we really wish we could, but we just can't? Not now. Maybe later. Why don't you try next door? Do we make a nominal effort? Not much more than virtue signaling, really. And send them around back to the stable where they won't get in the way. Or do we open the doors of our admittedly always distracted hearts and welcome them in right away and see to their comfort and to their care? Do we open ourselves to the troubles of others? even perhaps before we've settled our own problems for ourselves? Do we rearrange our overstuffed lives to make room for them, for God and for the needs of our neighbors? And remember, in the gospel according to Jesus Christ, those two, God and our neighbors, are given equal weight under the law of love. Do we go out of our way to help? Do we even go so far as to make the needs of our neighbors, especially, especially those our society considers the lowest and the least, the poor and the oppressed, friend and foe alike, even those whose lives scandalize us? Do we make their suffering and their justice a priority, no matter who they are or where they are on life's journey, as Jesus did? and turn our full attention to tend to them. Do we? Will we? Because, friends, the world is already knocking at the door, and it has been for a long, long, long time. That's what the innkeeper is there in the story to ask us, I think. And it doesn't do us much good to throw popcorn at them and boo them when they appear on stage like they're some cartoon villain. They're not. They're there for us. They are us. And behold, Jesus is standing at the door now. And he's knocking now offering to come into our lives and share the life of God with us if only we will open the door to him. Open the door to him and to the life, the love, the sacrifice and solidarity. Yes, the change, the justice and peace, the resurrection he brings. Because according to the gospel promise, all of that is coming to birth in Christ, whether we welcome it or not. If we won't receive the blessing, then someone else will, even if it's just the animals out in the stable or those we secretly or not so secretly think of as not much better than animals themselves. 
The world is knocking at our door, pregnant with pain and possibility both. So as the modern day meme puts it so perfectly, pointedly, if you've ever wondered, if you've ever wondered what you would have done during slavery or the Holocaust or the civil rights movement, if you've ever wondered what you would have done if you had been the innkeeper in Bethlehem, beloved, you're doing it now. That apocryphal, non-canonical innkeeper chose to keep their door shut for what I'm sure felt like a whole lot of perfectly good reasons at the time. And look what they missed. The revelation of the divine inhabiting the human so fully that it shines. But that same question is here before us now, and not just in this holiday season. We can be a different kind of innkeeper. We can make a different choice. We can change our minds and choose to open the door. We can change our lives and choose to make room for the Christ light to be born in us today, to scatter the shadows that cling so close to warm and all too often, all too cold and cruel world for those who are freezing to death outside the lines of power and privilege. When Jesus knocks, Wearing the face of all those other children of God, our neighbors in need. We can open the door and let them in. Heck, we can open the door and walk out into the world and find them and tend to them where they are. The question is, will we? So, beloved, if you have heard a word from God preached here today, remember to give all honor and glory to our one God, Creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit. Amen.